Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hey everyone, Annette the Editor here. This is part two of this episode. If you want to hear the beginning of this conversation, head over to part one and listen to that first. If you're here for part two, well, enjoy. I have a provocative supposition. You should probably correct me on it, but it's me shooting from the hip because that's just what okay. we do here. Russia's never had a political culture. Not really. They had czarist serfdom. Then they had a revolution that failed. Then they tried this kind of half-assed, like parliamentary democracy thing then a revolution blew that apart then it became a totalitarian nightmare that just had some mild shifts here and there throughout the you know the 20th century then that fell apart then you had yeltsin then you had putin and now here we are it doesn't seem like there's very many politics going on there it it seems like it's kind of just a long like chain of just sort of like corrupt overthrowing of power there's no at least in the, from the Western perspective, there's no real politics going on there. It's just flexing of power. Is I that guess, fair? <laughs> I guess, I suppose. Is it too reductive, though? Because I'm willing to be corrected on that. That's again difficult because you see the problem is that when you're talking about political culture and like previous Russia, again, mm-hmm. I, can't, I can't even compare Putin's Russia neither to the Soviet Socialist Union nor to Tsarist Russia because at this point, right. it just doesn't even... It doesn't function like a government. It, this, we have warlords we have feudalism yeah. and everything like yeah. that just <laughs> like a neo-feudalism I, I remember we were talking about that it was a neo-feudalism going on and uh it was that economist whose name is escaping me was talking about that it does sound, seem kind of like whatever i might say and also by the way like the political culture i was basing it off of is definitely a western model a western post-enlightenment liberal democratic model so in that context no russia has never been political maybe they've had their own form of political culture but it's just a different kind but Compared to those previous eras, like you're saying, it does seem like everything is kind of like mealy, like crumbled, like it's not like there's nothing coherently holding it together. Like it's like a stale cake at this point, whereas like maybe under Stalin, it was like a really firm pound cake. 
but it like you you couldn't really cut into it because it was so firm. I don't know. But the analogy is falling apart. But I get what you're saying as that like right now things just feel so atomized in Russia politically speaking. Am I am I right in that? Yeah, yeah. It's because you can't really talk about how Russia is functioning as a country because they don't seem to be doing that very well. <laughs> Here's a provocative question: Are they a country by at least normal standards for the rest of the world? Uh. They have so the problem is, you know, technically your country is is only worth by Western standards, country is your constitution mm-hmm. or something similar of that sort. You can take Roger's constitution, roll it up, and throw it out of the window because that's being ignored. It's good toilet paper. It literally, it not, nothing like, yeah. written there works. Mm-hmm. Um, then uh, Putin just declares uh, to break orders people to break laws by decree. There is no autonomous judicial system at all. The legislation also doesn't work. There is no separation of powers. There are elections which everyone knows are going to be faked completely, and they just mm-hmm. do it openly at this point. They're, they're not even like, uh, you know, what they did today. Like, so there were some opposition candidates from like Yabloko, one of the very few actually very tiny opposition parties there. But due to all the fact that mobilization is still going on, if you were an observer in these election posts, you know, then they would just give you the, the summons to go to kind of the war commissariat and just summon you to go to the army. They don't even have to do anything. Oh, look, that's a man observing if we don't cheat. Oh, he'll make a fuss. Let's, send, let's mobilize him. Slap. There's like elements within it that function, but they function in a way that's just kind of alien to what you would consider as a normal nation. Like <laughs> a normal functioning nation. It's just when you're describing all this, it just makes me think like of all the like the weird people off to the side in, in my country who, you know, I make fun of them a lot. The the MAGA communist types, the Stalinist tankies, you know, and, and to a lesser degree, but no less significantly, the Tucker Carlson's of the world who just like to praise Russia like as being an alternative model to the United States. And I always just feel like I like they don't really they never mention the actual functionality of what's going on. What they always refer to is culture war bullshit. Like, oh, well, Russia's not woke, so therefore it functions better. And I'm just thinking there's a lot of other things that go into a functioning nation than them not having a shitty ideology baked into it, you know? <laughs> and on top of that, Russia's ideology isn't much better than woke ideology. So, you know, it just strikes me as a very uh, simplistic, superficial way of looking at things. And and I think you just highlighting those small things really kind of helps reveal that. You, you have to answer to me then, if, if Russia is going to, what is a country then? What, what would you consider a country? Because otherwise, I can tell you all the things that they don't have. But mm-hmm. what, what would be the minimum requirements for you to at least consider the country? Well, I mean... A functioning one. Yeah, a functioning one. Yeah. Um, well, putting aside legitimacy of elections, because I know that's a controversial topic, the ability to vote, that's one. Like the actual like ability to civically participate, the ability to take part in the civic participation. Like if I wanted to run for office, I that I could do it. I'm never going to, but I could do it like you just have to. I mean, there's there's all these like like criticisms that you can have for the system and that then some are perfectly valid. And I might even agree with, you know, a lot of them. But the fact that you can make those criticisms, I think, is a key thing there and that those criticisms can then be turned into direct action. I think that needs to be possible, not probable, but possible. Does that make Mm. sense? Like you need to have recourse, I guess, for a country to be a country. You have to have recourse to change it as a citizen. I think that would be my American biased interpretation of what a country is. Uh huh. Okay. 
Well, in that case, Russia is by your means definitely 100% not a real country anymore. <laughs> well, I'm, I need to I need to also add non-violently because technically recourse to change it means having a gun is you know rhetorically speaking like like yes I, I i know there's the thomas jefferson quote about the fucking blood of patriots and the tree of revolution or whatever the hell it is i don't i don't care i don't like that quote it's overused and it's used selectively my point is non-violently civically that's that's the those are like the qualifiers i want to add to what i just said earlier <laughs> hmm. um uh, yeah, yeah, no, 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 still, still nothing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, there. I mean, I. That's that's the worst part. Sorry. Well, Just, okay. No. Nope. So what? Uh, okay, with um, with Latvia, then what makes Latvia a country? Would you say? Give me a better definition than the one I gave. My really reductive one, please. Well, no, no. no. I mean, um, for one, well, you can actually vote in elections here. Right. We have peaceful transfer of powers. That's our the term I was looking Constitution actually functions. Hmm. See, and and it's it's we don't. One thing that really strikes me the most is that Russia has lost the monopoly on violence. Mm-hmm. That's the thing that Max Weber said that that's the one thing that a government should have, and they don't. Mm-hmm. Like, and and just Russia just doesn't at this point at all. And I can just point to you and say, look, twenty fourth of June, what happened then? Does that look like a country which contain like whose government can contain its its own citizens and everything? Nope. Of course not. Yeah. <laughs> it's funny you bring up um, the monopoly of violence thing, because that is something that Americans generally, I mean, and I I know a lot of people on the left, on the right, in the center, but mostly in the left and the right, the more radical types, and especially the anarchist types, they consider the monopoly of violence being the realm of the state being an injustice. And that's a very American view. I don't know if other countries in the world share that view, but the idea of a monopoly of violence being in the hands of the state, I'm an anarcho skeptic. Like I, I, I love anarchism, but I'm a skeptic of it. I, I give two cheers for it. I'd like to say to quote this um, book whose author's name is escaping me. So in principle, I find the idea of the state having a monopoly on violence to be abhorrent because it's a, to me, like that's like, I mean, that's an aspect of totalitarianism to me, but I think that that might be an American view of things. That would be an American view of things. I think. Yeah, yeah. And that's part of our mythology, and that's a whole other conversation, yeah, of course. It, it, it be- makes sense, yeah. You, yeah. you guys do that. We do, and also, the funny thing is, I'm trying. as you were talking about that, and I was thinking about the monopoly of violence argument, I was thinking like, okay, so Russia then has, in its lack of monopoly on violence, its state having a lack of monopoly, you're referring to organized crime and the uh, like the private sector, right? Basically. Mm-hmm. See, if we had an overzealous organized crime, like syndicates here in the United States, kind of like, you know, when we had the mafia at its ascendancy in the in the 20th century, but like even more so. Uh, and I know we have organized crime here. I mean, don't don't get me wrong, but I, I don't think things could get that organized before regular citizens started fighting back. Now, maybe I'm being naive, actually. This this does feel kind of naive as I'm saying it, because I think most Americans just don't care about that sort of thing. If you look at how much shoplifting has become tolerated, at least in places like California, it, it kind of shows a complete disregard for the idea of civil order. But at the same time, the idea of like an oligarch showing up and then his you know private army and his thugs and stuff start brutalizing the populace in various places i can't imagine it would go down well i feel like america is too armed or too individualistic and 
we just have too much of a propensity for power fantasies of taking down oppressors of our freedom, that kind of thing, if that makes sense. So I just I can't imagine a Russia like system ever descending upon the United States, at least not in my lifetime, unless things somehow got really, really bad. Well, you guys have again, it sounds stupid, but there's a thing called uh, Republican tradition. Yes, you have that thing. Mm hmm. Well, and that's sort of what I I meant earlier with my provocative question is, is Russia even a country? I mean, does Russia has have they ever had a Republican tradition? I mean, my impulse is to say, no, they haven't. I I, I really I really think they haven't. No. And it's kind of a silly thing, but like they didn't have the time. Like they had some time in the 90s. And I think like we Mm -hmm. we've we've spoken about this a lot. Yeah, they they had a chance to have it. and, And then they then because of various circumstances and everything then it just didn't happen. Mm. They did have a chance. They had a chance. But let me just ask the blunt question. Where was the probability at? Was it below 50% that they were going to take that opportunity? We would see it as an opportunity of the Republican tradition. Or was the probability just low? Because they just never had that tradition to fall back on. The probability was low. But the thing is, again, it's... That's because how everything was turned out. It's, it was because of the crime lords and everything. It was, it was really kind of horrible because, again, they blame Soviet Union on this one. Soviet Union taught us that voting doesn't matter, and it never really built up on anything. And then Putin, for 20 years, have been intentionally very much trying to make sure that uh, you know, no one has any ideas about all these voting things and protesting and all that stuff, you know. Air quotes voting. Yeah. Like, as, he, yeah. as you've put it, like he he's very much a believer in the idea that all elections are sham. So like when there was all the hand wringing happening here after 2016 and probably to a degree in 2020, he just looks at those debates of like, oh, Russia interfered in our elections. And he's just like, yeah, but your elections don't matter anyway, I would assume is what he would yeah. say. Yeah. If rest on that. Yeah. Like I yeah, I it's a it's a comfortably cynical worldview he has. And I say this as somebody who tends to be cynical like 80 to 90 percent of the time that I, I am fully aware that being cynical feels good. <laughs> it feels very good because it makes you feel like you're cleverer than everybody else. But at the end of the day, cynicism is the, the line between cynicism and nefarious pessimism is very blurry, especially if you're not being careful. And I think in his case, he just has there, there's no distinction anymore. For him, I think I actually would go further even than you in calling him a cynic uh, when it comes to like elections and so forth and just call him a pessimist. He might even be a straight up nihilist, honestly, about such things. And that could help explain if he actually leans into that nihilism that could help explain why he has no plan, why things do feel so disorganized. Maybe he legitimately thinks none of this matters and he's just doing it because he wants to be part of the history books. And that's all that matters. You know, I think so, because to be honest, he's he's insured happy lives to his daughters, which is nice. Mm-hmm. He's mm-hmm. trying to do good there, I suppose. It's just... <laughs> I feel like you're throwing up in your mouth a little bit. No, it's like, like, like oh, I'm, I'm trying to... Like, dude, I have been watching so much of him. I, I don't go, go deep into this because it hurts my brain. Mm-hmm. I can't understand... Because he thinks on a fundamentally different level. He doesn't care about Russian people at all. Most Russian rulers haven't really. Mm-hmm. And the thing is that everyone around him, even these pro-war Z guys who kind of are totally weird themselves, right? 
they, they hate him as well. They, no one, really no one thinks that he's competent turbo leader anymore, except the very loud propaganda channels who no one believes in Russia at this point. People, just because, you know, people say things on camera doesn't mean shit. You know, people, a lot of people are very poor and people get threatened. People are afraid to lose their jobs. I don't know how many people actually believe in all this stuff. There are some, definitely. Mm -hmm. But I'm not sure if that is clearly at this point as widespread as it used to be. That again, you have to understand that it's a huge country again. And what was it? Uh, At least only like 6% of the people actually in Russia have been abroad anywhere. 6%. Wow. Do you you happen to know what the American equivalent statistic is i'm, I'm just curious because people uh, like to say that nobody goes anywhere here no but no i don't like, know you weren't on the good side but you had like a, about like 17 percent or something that okay that's a, that's a lot i mean for out of 350 million people give or take you know 10 million like that's not terrible well it look could be okay. better well, but look you're a huge country that's the thing yeah. i mean for me going abroad to a different country is kind of like you going to the state next door for you it, so well actually to be perfectly honest it, it probably is even closer because if i wanted to go north to oregon go visit dan carlin you know that would take me about a day and a half just to get up there on wheels i should say uh so yeah it's it for you it's even more so yeah it's just like going next door but yeah for americans it is harder just geographically speaking yeah but that's the problem here and and this is why you know we always are afraid of the unknown that, that's mm-hmm. the thing and for example, one of the things that I saw today, um, I'll actually open, I'll post this in the pictures uh, for you guys who are listening as well, but I'll show you, I posted this on Discord in our glorious shitposting station. Huh. Let me, <laughs> let me just, uh, let me just tag you in the response to, I'll just, I'll just tag you in this one so that you'll see. Mad Bar- yeah, we call him Mad Baron of California. That's his nickname here on, on Discord. There, I have tagged you. Go to shitposting station, scroll up, and, and there's an election poster in Russia, which is um, just amazing. This is, this is the reality how people actually think about, in general, things. And it's a candidate who's from Putin's party. Oh, there it is. Oh, there we go. There we go. Well, uh, yeah, I can't. Can't. homosexuality, threats Satanism, threats to society. <laughs> Vladimir Seldo, which is the name of the candidate. If you are against, vote for United Russia. I have some. I have some. I have some, I have some questions here. How many uh, gay Satanists has he actually seen? It's one. In his mind, they're probably synonymous, which is funny because that just makes him sound stupid and redundant. Yeah, but that, <laughs> that, that makes you. That makes him sound stupid to us. But that's the whole thing. Right. That's what they've been telling all the time everyone. At this point, it's just a different even look at reality. Yeah, there, are, there, are, there truly are people like Igor Girkin himself who genuinely think that that we literally force people to be homosexual here in the West. And that's not a joke. They genuinely believe that. The funny thing is, is that kind of mentality is no, like we are not strangers to that kind of moral panic here. Like that's why um, I don't know if you've really looked into this or heard much about it, but like there is kind of an, another layer of offensiveness to the so-called groomer panic that we have where they're saying, oh, you're teaching gender ideology in school, that's grooming children. And the reason why that's offensive is not just because you're saying something stupid, but because not even that long ago, like 30 years ago, 20 years ago even, 
there was like the all the harumphing on the American evangelical right about the gay agenda, quote unquote, that that was the sort of the euphemism that came after calling gay men specifically because it was never gay women. It was always just gay men groomers trying to make our young boys into gay men. That's basically what what the claim was. Um, now, one can have plenty of criticisms and, in my opinion, should have criticisms of a lot of aspects of what we colloquially, excuse me, call gender ideology. But conflating that with pederasts is like, and, and while at the same time echoing that old homophobic trope is particularly offensive. So we're not strangers to this kind of like dog shit rhetoric that exists. It's like, like I said, it's offensive on multiple levels. And it, and one of those levels is that it's stupid, but also because it harkens back to very, very real bigotry. And this guy, I think, honestly, like at this point, civically, I guess, legally speaking, LGBT people are relatively secure in the United States. I'd say pretty much secure, legally speaking. So we don't have much to worry about. So we should just be laughing at the whole like gay Satanist thing. But that kind of stuff does have purchase here. And I and I have to wonder how much of that has been imported, because I only about maybe a year and a half ago at this point, I started to see more people that I know on the far right using terms like demonic and Satanist, like not ironically. And I have to wonder how much of that, like I said, is imported from knuckleheads like that guy in the shitpost channel that you showed me. I mean, do you have any sense of that? Here in Eastern Europe, at least these sentiments, that's the Soviet legacy that we're trying to deal with. Problem. Uh But that's going away. We're getting more liberal in a way. We're starting mm-hmm. to respect how everything works, you know. What was well, I'll just I'll say homophobia, but like what I'll just say broadly, bigotry against non-normative sexuality, I guess we can call it. Uh-huh. Was that considered was that was that normal in the Soviet Union? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, being homosexual There's, was a crime. You okay you to prison for that. Well, it was a crime here, too, though. That's the thing. It was a crime. It, I think there were sodomy laws, as they were called, on the books here until, like, the 90s, technically. They weren't being enforced, but, like, actually might have even been the 2000s. But regardless, I, I'm just wondering because I just find that really funny because on the one hand, you'd have people who are more than willing to demonize, and rightfully so, the Soviet Union for being a communist dictatorship hellhole kind of thing. But who I think in their heads believe that homosexuality was encouraged because of like the crazy first couple of years of the revolution. Maybe you could connect it to the history there. Well, the first couple of years were uh, very crazy. Yeah. yeah. That, because that was, it was a revolution. Oh, I read about this when I was way back when, when I was studying my old ancestor, I say that in air quotes, uh, <laughs> the mad Baron uh, von Ungern Sternberg, but I was studying the Russian revolution a little bit. And there was just stories of like, just straight up nudists riding the train without any clothes on. And I remember just thinking like, okay, so that might be where a lot of these like beliefs about the Soviet Union come from. But I always had this sense. I was like, the Soviet Union was very much like, I I don't like making comparisons to Nazi Germany, but they were kind of the closest analog to what kind of society they were like. And the Nazi Germany was very quote unquote, sexually depraved. It's just, people don't know about it. Like they, people point to the Weimar Republic as being depraved. Sure, maybe it was, but it didn't just it didn't just go away when the Nazis took over. The Nazis were very depraved in their own ways. But regardless, my point is, I just feel like there's a really funny disconnect between what Westerners think of when they think about the Soviet Union or about communism and its manifestations and morality and so forth. I 
I don't even know how we got on this, but I just find the disconnect between what Westerners see about Russia in general and what the reality is, is kind of like analogous to what you were talking about, about Russians having a disconnect between what's happening on the ground in the war and what they want to believe about, I guess, the Russian myth or whatever. You know what I'm saying? Makes sense because the Russian myth is very kind of, it's very strong. It's all over the place mm-hmm. in the Western world. It's always about, you know, strong vodka drinking, hardcore, man. Like the myth about Russia is, I think, stronger than the actual Russia in itself. Mm-hmm. We, we weren't busting apart the myth that Russia was once a republic, but I think it's, we were definitely kind of examining the question of like, have they ever really been a country in the modern Western sense of the word. And I, I honestly am starting to think that maybe the answer is no. And that might be one of its biggest disadvantages, if that makes sense. Again, not like they had a lot of chance to right. be that. They couldn't do it because they had crappy options given to them. And now we're dealing yeah. with it because in the end, people thought that Putin could be trusted, that he would turn out to be a normal leader. And then he wasn't. And now we totally can see that he, well, wasn't. You know, you at least live in the United States. Yeah. You, you, you can think about this from a theoretical perspective, okay? Mm. I live next door to Russia, if you maybe have noticed. So, <laughs> yeah. So it's, it's slightly I, different for me, so, so to speak. That's definitely true. And that's why I do defer to you on a lot of this stuff, especially when I do think about it theoretically, because I want to, I want to understand when the rub, I want to understand how the rubber meets the road with the theoretically and the lived experience kind of thing in this case. Hello there. And thanks for listening to another episode of the Eastern border. Dear Patreons, thank you more than ever for supporting our show. Your donations are crucial to keep us going and right now all of your money is going to securing good information for you and to fund Kristov's actual real-life mission to Ukraine to report to you live about the war that is going on there. Also, we would like to use this opportunity to urge you to donate to other organizations that are helping people escape Ukraine safely and to defend the country for those who decide to stay on the ground. One such organization we would like to highlight is the Defending Ukraine Together Come Back Alive movement. Launched in 2014, the Come Back Alive became the biggest organization providing support to the armed forces of Ukraine. You can donate directly from their webpage, comebackalive.in.ua. Remember that no donation is too small. In this situation, every dollar matters, every cent matters. If you're uncomfortable with giving money to war, they do have a position on their website that they are providing Ukrainian army with laptops, lights, photo equipment, cables, and is not purely military. Perhaps that might change your mind, but remember you can also donate to strictly humanitarian organizations such as the Red Cross and others that are helping people escape Ukraine safely. Please also keep following us on social media for all of your latest updates on Eastern Border on places like Twitter and Facebook. Keep listening, keep yourself informed. That's all from me now. See you online. This kind of neatly segues into the big question I wanted to ask you before we started talking. Because you're talking about how confused and out there, just how, how much of a mess everything is right now and probably will be for a long time. Regardless of how this war shakes out, regardless of if Russia collapses or not, I mean, how long do you think it's going to take before future historians are going to be able to tease out 
the myth, like the mythologies and the and the misinformation and the disinformation from the reality of what actually happened? And and how do you think they're going to accomplish that? I hate you, man. <laughs> um, honestly, I don't know. I just okay. don't. I time no. will help. I mean, I'm sure time will help. <laughs> I guess it's just that it's... I honestly don't know. Time will help somehow, but how this mm-hmm. is going to turn out for everyone and everything, I can't give you an answer here. Sure. No, I mean, I, I, honestly, I, I appreciate that answer because it feels the most connected to reality one like kind of answer somebody could give. I, I, I don't think anybody can know usually, but I mean, I think when... But, but I think it's important to keep that always in the back of our minds, you know, because we're going to be... We'll be here... In 20 years, hopefully. I mean, uh, we, we can try. We can try. So what I'm saying is like, you know, when we're in our fucking late 50s, we'll be able to look back on this and maybe tease out some element of truth to it. I mean, by 20 years, it'll be history at that point. I'm pretty sure the war will be over by then. <laughs> I well, Then again, though, after we were in Afghanistan for 20 years, who's to say? Uh, but yeah, I, I feel like that will be something we'll be able to tease out now like filtering the actual information and the disinformation that's probably going to be tough because i imagine a major component of this war that i'm sure has been talked about but i just haven't seen it all that much i'm sure you've talked about it too is the information warfare aspect of it you've talked about the propaganda a lot and the thing is that propaganda is so different now than what it was like during world war ii for example think that's going to create a lot of challenges for people a lot of less critical or more importantly less russian fluent westerners are probably going to be taking a lot of that russian propaganda seriously even in the future when you know we should know better you've pointed this out so many times about so many westerners just repeating stuff that clearly has a source from a russian propaganda telegram channel but they're repeating it because they think that because it comes from a russian language source that it must be accurate that that's my assumption of why they think it's accurate so i i think that that's going to be like the big challenge of the future I, i'd be willing to predict that much at least well that is and that's going to be a challenge for for me personally a lot right yeah mother's day is around the corner Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. What the people uh, taking Russian propaganda at face value, or just you having to sift through all of it? Both propaganda, everything, because uh, the war ends, right? War ends tomorrow. Yeah, let's yeah. think about that. Okay, and and what happens to all these people who have been like going through all this mess, right? Mm-hmm. All this, all this nonsense of of, of who've been told like we're that we're all evil and horrible, 
right? Not like they're going to go anywhere. We're going to have a massive humanitarian crisis. And even, even if I'm correct, and I believe I am, then it's going to cause a lot more problems. There's going to be mm-hmm. massive humanitarian aid is going to be needed, and not just for Russia, but for us as well, here in Lafayette, after all. Mm-hmm. It's, it's not something yeah. that is going to be easy at all to deal with. I mean, we already had a preview of what, if it's going to get to the point, I should say, that there is a refugee crisis. We've already had a preview of how Europe handles that only eight years ago. And it wasn't great. I mean, just to say the least, it was not great. And I would like the United States to play a greater role in humanitarianism, which might be one of the first times I've ever actually made a serious political point (laughs) publicly, but about what I think the United States should do. But I've always been a pro-humanitarian. I've always taken a pro-humanitarian position when possible. That doesn't mean I think we should just open the floodgates of our borders, but I think we should be much more proactive in supporting refugees from countries being destroyed. And that as soon as I say that, though, I start imagining like potential conflicts like there will obviously be a lot of displaced people in Ukraine. Who knows how much further the displacement is going to go displacement? Excuse me. I, I would imagine there's probably if we were to do that, we would have to face the fact that there's probably going to be a lot of Russian people who want to come here, too. Mm-hmm. And I would imagine that would create a lot of problems, like if we don't address the fact that there are two people that are by all rights going to hate each other, or at least one is going to hate the other more more so, the Ukrainians hating the Russians, that is. So we're going to have to face that kind of thing. And that's going to have to be something that everybody that is not Russia or Ukraine has to face if refugees start pouring out. If, I mean, they already have, there already are refugees, but I'm just, I'm talking about something on the level of 2015 refugee crisis from North Africa, the Middle East, but even bigger, because it probably would be bigger. And I feel like that's something that we should probably prepare ourselves for just in case, even if it doesn't happen. I just we should definitely prepare for that, especially if Russia does break apart, because as you and I have talked a lot about, man, we know what a balkanized state looks like. I mean, we know what warlords look like, especially in that part of the world. We know what happens to regular people when that sort of thing happens. I was just talking about it earlier. A lot of grievances are going to be like settled and then filtered through a political lens, too. So I find it hard to imagine there's not going to be some kind of massive refugee crisis in the coming decades. No, I believe there definitely is going to be one. Yeah. Picking and choosing who to help based on their nationality, like that is what scares me because I can't. Like, I would understand why Ukrainian refugees in the United States, for example, don't want to be sitting on the proverbial Ellis Island waiting room with Russian refugees. I understand that, but we cannot pick and choose because these people did not choose where they were born. They would have to be, like, taken just as seriously if America was to become what I would like it to become, which is a more humanitarian place on the international scene. To be honest, I'm kind of skeptical that we will go in that direction because of the aforementioned forces I've talked about, namely our weariness of being an international force, which is exactly what people like Alexander Dugan bank on. They want us to be fatigued from that. But just assuming that we do remain a sort of like place that people want to go to, I feel like we have to like be very prepared for those kinds of conflicts and not just pretend that they're not going to exist. That that creates a whole other host of problems on its own. It, and it basically is importing the war here, for example, and reigniting it even, if that makes sense. 
Yeah, it does, but nothing's going to be easy no. like at all. I don't see any easy options that we have at this point. So with that said, can you understand why there's a lot of like Americans who just yeah. don't yeah, who want to be, they want nothing to do with it. And because they understand that at some level. And I actually, that's, I can sympathize with that feeling at least. I, I don't think it's necessarily right, but I understand it. Fun times, man. Fun yeah, times. Yeah, always fun times. <laughs> just... Do you have any Eastern European jokes? Come on. Oh, <laughs> Let's lighten man. the mood here before we go. <laughs> I don't know. Let's take a look at take some questions because, yeah, yeah oh, there we go. Just as usual, we started out, we had a good conversation. This time, this time you actually smashed my brain because you made me think about all those things. I don't I mean, it's my things I do for you. I have an, oh my God, I still got another beer. That's going to save me. <laughs> well, I see somebody in the chat. First, though, I, I see this person mentioning. I want to get the screen name right. It just says D. Mr. D says, in Argentina, we had Jews and then Nazis coming into the country. That is true. I have learned a fair bit about that. And look how well the country is going right now. That I don't know about. I've actually been to Argentina, but that was like almost 20 years ago. So I have no idea what is happening there. So it looks like we're probably going to get some context. But the question was, to what extent do you think we could have ethnic conflicts in Russia at some point? That's how everything's going to like we're going to have. We all, we already are having ethnic conflicts. I was going to say, Russia. is it already happening? <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because uh, one, yeah. one of the aspects here is that um, Russia has a massive uh, population crisis. And because of the demographic situation and everything, and because government's doing nothing, like Russians are not having babies. So they are now having an influx, a ton of influx of Central Asian migrants. A ton mm -hmm. of them. Well, was it, like, it was counted that at least out of the 10 million people who are citizens of Tajikistan, 3 million live in, in Russia at this point. It's like crazy. And, and there are ethnic conflicts every day, all the time. How, um, I only have my own perspective, but I'm just wondering how, how like analogous is that to say the border between the United States and Mexico, is it similar? Because we have, obviously, I live in California. We have a lot of uh, Central American, I'll say more broadly, uh, migrants here. The ethnic conflicts that we've had, though, they happened already, especially in Los Angeles. Like, there was a major, like, it was devastating. It was a devastating ethnic conflict started by members of Mexican cartels, namely the Mexican Mafia, against the black communities of South Los Angeles back in the, like, mid-early 2000s or so. And they like drove them out. They were targeting black Americans and murdering them on the street as a means to displace them. So if we use that as like a guide, I mean, it's definitely I, I would say just from the American perspective, it's definitely possible that things like that could happen more so in Russia, like what you were talking about. Again, it's all concentrated around the, the metropolis, Moscow. They just go through there, you see. Bit crazy because again, uh, with how many Muslim people live in Moscow at this point, they also have, because of their traditional situation there, they have a ridiculously small amount of mosques. Yeah, this uh, Dr. Colombo has all the good questions here. Uh, sure, sure. Yeah. There's um, his next question was: It's been two weeks since Prigozhin got killed. Is there any noise about Wagnerites doing anything about it? Uh, they have stopped recruiting, which okay. is fun. And then we also have we have the same guy who was uh, involved with like saying that it's going to be crazy, uh, Zale, everything like that. And then he's now saying that, that Prigozhin's living somewhere uh, in, in Caribbean. And that's like in Argentina. No, no, it's, Ar it's always Argentina. Come on. <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> he's hanging out with Hitler and Goebbels and all those people who didn't actually die, obviously. 
I have another question that's actually is it's from Joe Luxemburger spy. Oh yeah, he's spy. He's he, he the only person who is an actually who's actually uh, from um, Luxembourg. From Luxembourg. Yes, he's a. Uh, so he's one of the like four people. Okay, cool. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, he asks a good, a good question that I'm pretty sure I've asked you. I might have asked you like way back in our first conversation. Does the Russian state end with a bang or with a whimper? Uh, yes. <laughs> the answer is yes. Yes, yes. Uh, I'll, 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 uh, I'll narrow the question down a little bit, too. Uh, what, what parts of the Russian state will end in a bang and what parts in a whimper? Chechnya, definitely a bang. Okay. Some uh, internal middle part things probably ending with uh, more or less more or less so a whimper out there okay i mean this is just my assumption based on how things typically shake out in history but the more populous the more urban will be the more chaotic and the more rural will be more of a whimper kind of situation yeah more or less first of all is going to be it's going to be really crazy at the point where you know, everyone wants to put ramzan kadyrov straight into uh just straight up into prison completely everyone except putin basically so Mm -hmm. what else are you gonna do okay here's my question does putin get the mussolini treatment or the hitler treatment and for Uh, those people who don't know mussolini was strung up in milan i think upside down like he was he was murdered i mean (laughs) i mean i'll say executed i'll be fair it was executed whereas hitler obviously you know killed himself in Minecraft. Uh, so, yeah. What do you think, though? No clue. Okay. Literally no clue. Anything can happen. Sure. He could also, depending on how things go, he could have the Napoleon treatment. Go sitting on an island somewhere. I think, in I exile. Think, I think he's going to go and disappear at some point. Okay. Just, just, but just go away. It's... Uh, oh, I just had a, a premonition. There's going to be, like, a sort of, like, growing rumor in Russia... And it's not going to be made public for a bit, but the rumor is just going to keep growing and growing and growing globally that Putin just hasn't been seen. He's just going to fade away because that that's like he's going to that's going to be the moment that I, I, I don't think there's ever going to be a concession speech. I don't think it's ever I, I think that, you know, obviously the, the I think the Mussolini treatment is never going to happen. That's just my sense. I think the people would have to hate him enough and the country would have to be at war with itself enough for that to even be a possibility. I think the suicide option is possible, but I think it's most likely that he's going to take the easiest way out, which is to just disappear, like you were just saying. And I think it's and and there's not going to be an announcement of it. It's going to happen, and then people are going to have to figure it out for themselves. He's he's going to Irish exit the geopolitical stage. Possibly, again, you can't really know. Yeah, could be. Could like. Anything can happen at this point. This is way too unpredictable. And uh, anyone who tells you that they can somehow predict what's going to happen with some sort of perfection, they lie. Mm-hmm. They, they absolutely lie. Yeah, I I feel like Putin just disappearing and that being the story just narratively feels the most satisfying to me because it's just so indicative of what history is like. It's just so... just anticlimactic and he's not getting what he deserves in that sense too because that's usually what happens i i always insist on the fact that i want him to go through proper uh, procedure so that he can see and experience uh, everything you know well the um did the hague press charges on him am i remembering that right yeah yeah i, okay. I think he, he he needs to go to the hague mm-hmm. 
That's so, how you, so, I so you're ideally he gets the Milosevic treatment. Yes. Okay. Yes. I, I'd be for that. Hmm. I I'd think that that would be the best. It would definitely provide the most closure. I mean, I'm, I have to wonder if it would end in the same way it did for Saddam Hussein, but I, yeah, there's a certain element of like, I feel like somebody on that scale, I, I kind of wonder, well, I don't know. That gets into the whole death penalty ethics thing. And we don't have to get into that. I, I don't I, want, I see, I want, I want to do procedure because he, case, right. he doesn't understand anything that's happening here. Right. He doesn't understand. Yeah. He doesn't respect any, any of these, um, the Western values, so to speak and everything. Right. Right. Yeah. So I think that would be force him to sit best. through. Yes. Yeah. Western democratic bureaucracy. You know what? That is a very good punishment for someone like him. I am. I'm on board with this. I, I, I would be sympathetic if like people wanted him executed afterward. I can understand that. But the Western bureaucratic process and then being put in prison for life, that's like kind of the ultimate insult for someone like him. You're right. It's because it's because he he hates this whole thing a lot. Mm-hmm. And therefore, I think that it would be good to to just get him through the process. Yeah. If if it got to that point, I can guarantee you it would be first I would I would say it would be a good thing as long as it was conducted correctly and there wasn't any fast tracking or fast and loose of judicial standards and so forth. If it was conducted correctly like we're talking about, I'm 100% on board with it and I think it would be good. But what I can guarantee will happen is it's going to become a very nasty and stupid debate here in the United States between the left and the right. It will become a situation where the left will be all about supporting it, but superficially because they don't understand it. And the right will be all about delegitimizing it because they've decided because they started reading Carl Schmidt or something that it's time to abolish like international law or something because it's unfair or some stupid shit like that. So that's my guarantee is that it will be it'll be covered stupidly in the United States. Look, at this point, what isn't? Well, <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, we are heading into, oh, let's see. Okay, we, it's still over a year, but we are having an, another election in a year and a two months, give or take. I'm not looking forward to it. Let's just put it that way. Oh, it's going to be fun. Oh, yeah. Fun for well, the whole family. I think we have another question, by the way. Yes. Uh, let's jump down here. Creative question. Okay. <laughs> If Putin went to hell, what kind of ironic punishment would he get? I think we kind of laid it out, but except it, the trial never ends. He's just uh, on he, trial he, forever. He, he gets turned into a very much a Kafka hero. Yeah. Oh, man. Do you think he reads Kafka or has read Kafka? I and don't like, know. And I'm just wondering if he reads it. If, I mean, if he's... Like, he used to be an officer of KGB, and I know that he knows how to read. He doesn't use a smartphone. He doesn't use the internet at all. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but he probably has read something at some point. Yeah, yeah. I'm just, I'm just thinking about him like reading it and then totally missing the point and just being like, ah, yes, Kafka was talking about the West here. <laughs> probably. Yeah. Like, these, um, these, like when you ask me to make predictions, um, don't even know how to do things much here. Yeah, yeah. I went back a little bit and saw that uh, Dr. Colombo asked us a question that we kind of got into a little bit, where where we were talking about how Russia and China get stuff so they don't participate in politics. But he asks, were these countries ever known for political participation of the people? 
Or is this maybe the way these societies have worked for a long time? And I think we have pretty much said that is exactly right. And that's why any change that has occurred in those countries tends to be very violent and not particularly political in the traditional sense or civic, if you will. Because like China's been disrupted. And funny enough, China's been more disrupted by exterior forces, I would say, that that influence the interior forces, but that's a whole other thing. Hello. Uh so yeah. <laughs> How many uh, brain cells of, of Chris Jobs has the mad baron killed today? That is a good question. Probably more than the beer, I would imagine. I have just finished single beer during this conversation. <laughs> no, you probably need more. Um Side note, do you sometimes feel you know too much about torture methods? I don't know. What, I, 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 I can tell you one good thing, though. I can tell you one really, really good thing, though. I have gone and I have applied for, for swimming and, and gym stuff, which I'm going to do, which is going to be great. Excellent. It, it should be good for me. I hope. Bit of a bit of insanity, but I, I kind of felt like I had to, had to do this because otherwise a bit crazy. Well, as you said... You tend to have me on to zoom out and have a more macro look at things. Yeah, but this is really interesting. This is really, really interesting. I, I like this. I like this because you have to think about these these issues issues because if you don't, then um, what are we going to do? Look, we are going to have a massive refugee crisis anyway. Either way? Yeah. Either way. Because, look, if the West gives up and Russia stumps over Ukraine, what do you think Ukrainians are going to do? <laughs> They're going to be like, get us the fuck out of here. <laughs> exactly. And if I'm correct and Russia disintegrates, then what the fuck are we going to do? Mm-hmm. It's going to be magical. It's going to be horrible for everyone either way. With everything happening, just... This is going to make the Balkans look like a very calm and peaceful place, I think. It's going to be quite crazy and, and it's not going to be pretty in any way or form. I don't even know how to solve this. It's just that what we can do is maybe someone who's more important and wiser than we are probably possibly could just, you know, plop in and, and maybe at least think about these issues so that we're, we're not the only ones thinking about all this mess. You see, I would hate if random podcasters would be the only people who would be actually thinking about this kind of stuff. That would be really sad. Hey, you're going back for a PhD and I'm in the process of getting a master's. There's going to be a book coming out of this from both or either of us at this point. I mean, what else What else can we do? To yeah. To be honest. Well, I think that there's something... You know what? Okay, I'll try to put a positive spin on this because okay. I've been, like I said, beginning of grad school. So to actually becoming a professional historian, finally. And we're focusing on historiography and why we do history, why we talk about it, why we make sense of it. And that actually is kind of part of the answer is that we're here to make sense of what happened in the past, because by making sense of what happened in the past, it's not because it's giving you a guidebook for the future. That's a big mistake. I think a lot of people make. They repeat that dog shit asinine line about doomed to repeat it and all that. I hate that line. It's stupid. It's not serious. What history being studied accomplishes is it gives you a sense of people, why people do what they do, why people in certain positions and in certain circumstances do what they do. And I think that by looking at things that have already happened with that in mind, you are going to get a better idea of how things shake out. And you're also going to realize that there are things you can do to mitigate negative circumstances because, like I said, we have the we have the benefit of hindsight in this case. So I think that there is a something positive to come out of this. And I think that People who think about things historically are going to help with that for a lot of people. We're never going to agree, like all of us, or we're never going to have a consensus, but we're going to 
hopefully help make sense of of things as they happen and hopefully maybe give some perspective to people who think that like things are hopeless like things are never things are never hopeless in the long term i guess i would say in the short term they can be complete dog shit but i love i love your relentless optimism (laughs) well it's not optimism it's just pragmatism it's just you got to find the stuff that brings joy and and uh, beauty and all that stuff in the present and latch onto it while never forgetting that the past is ba- built on a chain of pain and grievance. That's sort of my motto. Kind of makes sense. Actually, something positive for tonight. Well, nice. Finally. <laughs> it's been rough. It's been rough. If you if you have anything if you, you want to say, because we, we need to wrap up. Right, uh, you could you could maybe read and answer some question yourself because you've killed a lot of my brain cells. My brain is exploding tonight. <laughs> I'm going to send this on it. It's going to be horrible. Uh, what do you mean, subtle knife? This talk is cheerful. We we got to think. Thanks for the cheerful talk, guys. Well, this was as cheerful as as we can get in the current situation. I really I really wish I could be like making shows about some other nicer things. We could talk about history video in video games next or something sometime. Something light, like actually light. We've done video games like where we actually gamed. I think we did at least one live stream because we were both just like chilling. But yeah, we can talk about whatever you want in the future if you want to take your mind off this stuff. At, at one point, I would be very happy to. Yes. Oh, maybe we could do a special live stream where Chris Jobs teaches Alex how to play Hearts of Iron properly. Oh, no. <laughs> Oh no! It's just going to be a lot of like, well, comrade, what are you doing? Why, what, why have you not even looked at the logistics tab yet? <laughs> uh, no, I'm, I'm playing. I'm playing a heavily modded battle tech lately. That, that's my thing. Yeah, I yeah. like. I like big stompy robot. Big stompy robot, good. So big stompy robot, good. Uh, axis versus allies, bad. <laughs> <laughs> this reminds me too much of actual wars. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, not not a fan of that lately. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, no, and, I, and I'm glad to hear that you are taking care of yourself, like, physically. Because like, if you take care of yourself physically, it, it does take care of at least some things mentally. It, it, it puts you in a place where you can, uh, you know, like, work on the stuff that you might have otherwise neglected. I, I got to tell you, I get, I get the best self-insights or self-talk even when I'm out for a run. And because I live in California, aside from, well, really around now and August, I can go outside every day and, you know, you know, take advantage of that. So, yeah, that definitely helps. Okay. And if anyone else here uh, has like still something that they want to comment, please do. We're still yes, for like, please. I don't know, a bit. <laughs> what is an optimism? That's a good question. An optimism is, as Louis C.K. once said, stupid, being stupid. That's what it is. <laughs> Why would anything good ever happen? <laughs> Sometimes it does. It does. Yeah. Rarely. And latch on and we latch onto it. That's what we're supposed to do. Like don't pretend that everything nice is going to happen all the time. Just be on the lookout for it and latch onto it when it does. But don't let it blind you to the, you know, the darker realities of life. It just doesn't it seems so self-evident to me. I don't know. Maybe that's the American part of it. Maybe that's my optimism is that these things are self-evident. Of you. Extremely yeah. American of you. Uh, uh, Dr. Colombo asks, this is the most important question of all, actually. Okay, okay. Can we fool around with the soundboard after you finish the serious part of the podcast? Oh. <laughs> or, or off to the gulag with him? No, 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 no. I mean, fine, yes, you can play with the soundboard. Uh, by the way, uh, <laughs> that, that'll trap up on... Uh, if you want to hear the soundboard, you're going to have to join us here on the Eastern Board Discord. 
I'll plop it up somewhere in the show notes. It always is there. Yeah. <laughs> it's going to be great. Uh, yeah, we also watch movies. We watched uh, Come and See in my birthday, no less. Glorious joy for everyone. And, and we're going to watch movies onwards. And I finally got uh, American football explained to me. So it's going to be fun. Going to continue doing all these news and everything. It's going to be great. Do you And also go and check out History Impossible. Yes, we're on a... Uh, well, we just got to... You're just, not, you should be. Oh, sorry, you cut out there. What'd you say? No, and if you're not, you really, really should be listening to History Impossible. But this is kind of a... It is a thing, you know. Eastern Bar listeners should listen to History Impossible. By definition, I mean... Well, and it sounds like a lot of people, at least in the Discord, have given the recent uh, series, which is part of a bigger series that I was doing, that it, it's funny. I just uh, The first five episodes are pretty much focused on Israel and Palestine. So, you know, that's light right there. Mm. And now I'm talking about Yugoslavia, even lighter. And believe it or not, Yugoslavia and Israel and Palestine, two of the most contentious topics in modern world history, are connected in a very weird, tenuous way. And that's why the show is called The Muslim Nazis, because I love being an edgy boy. This current part of the series, the second half, I should say, is pretty much all about Yugoslavia, and it is about as confusing and dark as it gets. But like we were saying, things can get a lot more confusing and dark in the sort of Baltic, Russian, Ukrainian sphere. So let's let's hope it doesn't happen sooner rather no, than later. Seriously, seriously, the most important part for, that, that, that you just taught me today, before I say my goodbye lines, that, yeah, you know... You can't allow your, your brain to be, to be broken by all this stuff. You got to do cool stuff as well. Like I always say, happiness is mandatory. Haha, I'm cutting you. Now you can finish talking if you want to. Shango! I haven't stopped recording, you guys. Oh. <laughs> Thank you for listening to The Eastern Border Show. If you have any questions or comments, go to our website, theeasternborder.lv, and leave a comment there. Or email us at theeasternborder at gmail.com. We'll be sure to answer. You can also follow us on social media and contact us there. If you enjoyed this episode, then leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and tell your friends about us. It really helps us grow the show. And remember, happiness is mandatory. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.